All right, so um, good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Caleb Cabe. I'm the pastoral assistant here at Reconcile. And don't worry, Will is coming back next week. He hasn't left us. Um, I know y'all are probably tired of seeing me, and I miss Will's preaching. Um, but it is a, a privilege and it's an honor for me to be able to share God's word this morning from the book of Romans. So we are in a series called How to Get Right. We're going through Romans chapter 4 and 5. And previously, we had done another series on Romans 1 through 3. It was called Something Ain't Right. It was talking about how we see that there's a problem in the world. Everyone agrees that there's something wrong in me. There's something wrong in you. There's something wrong in the world. It's something that we can see and we can experience daily. And so now we're in a series called How to Get Right. It's Romans 4 and 5. So something is wrong. All we have to do is turn on the news to see that something is wrong with our world. So the question is, how do we get right? And a lot of times, uh, if we'll be, um, when me and Pastor Will are going around sharing the gospel with people, trying to invite people out to church, they'll say, yeah, I'm, I, I want to come to church, but I got to get right first. Let me clean up myself. Let me get myself together. And then I'll come to church because I want to go, but I got to get right. And so we're trying to answer the question, how do we get right? What is it that we need to do to get right with God. How is the world going to be fixed? And we're also going to answer the question today, how do you know when you can trust someone? So in, in the last sermon, uh, it, it was talking about how we have tangible blessings for, from our salvation for today that we can experience. So Christ has saved us, but how do we know if we can trust him or not? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Typically, trust is built over a long period of time. It takes time of knowing someone and someone being continually faithful over a long period of time for you to know that you can trust this person. Who's, who's ever heard the term day one? A day one is someone who's been with you from the beginning, from, from, from your, your worst moments through your best moments. That person has stuck with you. At your highest and your lowest points, that person has been faithful to you. And this is how Jesus loves us. Jesus doesn't love us when we got everything together, only when we have everything together. But he also loves us and pursues us at our worst moments. And so because Jesus loved us when we didn't love him, we know that we can trust him. And that's what we're going to be uh, unpacking in the text today. So let's pray. Father, I need, I need you. God, we need, we need your spirit to help us understand this passage. We need the power of the spirit to obey it, to apply it to our lives. God, would you help me to preach your word boldly? Would you help me to uh, preach clearly? so that people can understand what you would have them to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus helped us when we could not help ourselves. Let's look at verse 6. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And so we were helpless to save ourselves from our sins. 
Sometimes we'll try to play ourselves and act like we just made a couple mistakes. We can do better. We can clean ourselves up. We can fix ourselves. But in our most honest moments, when we look inside of ourselves, we know that there is a problem and we can't fix it. In our most honest moments, we know that we cannot save ourselves from the tyranny of sin. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. So we had no hope of coming alive apart from the one who can resurrect the dead. How much can a dead person do? Nothing. We were helpless. But Jesus can make us alive because he, when he was on the earth, he was the one who could help the blind see. He was the one who healed the sick. He was the one who made the lame walk. He was the one who raised people from the dead when he was on the earth. And he who was raised from the dead himself can also raise our dead corpses to life. Although we are dead in our sins, he can make us alive in a moment. He has that power. It's like in the Garden of Eden, when God was creating the, the Adam and Eve, he breathed his breath of life into them. And in an instant, they were alive. This is what God can do to us, even though we are helpless, dead in our sins. And another, another analogy that we see in scripture is that we were enslaved to our sin. So we were dead to our sin and we were also enslaved to our sin. We were stuck in this sin cycle. Temptation comes. We have a desire to do something other than what God has told us to do, than how God designed it to be. We sin, we fall into that temptation And then immediately we begin to feel guilty. We feel shame. We feel condemnation. And then we run in isolation away from God who can save us, who can give grace to us. And away from the church who could encourage us, who could share the news with us. And then when temptation comes again, we need comfort. So we run back to that sin. And we're stuck in this endless cycle going around in circles. So we were dead in our sins and we were enslaved to our sins. We were helpless to escape on our own. But Jesus died to give us our freedom. Jesus' death is is in scripture that he ransomed many. He paid the bill to, to buy us back to himself, to grant us freedom. So although we were helpless to save ourselves from the tyranny of sin, Jesus saved us and he showed grace and mercy to us. He chose to love us. And this love wasn't some random event that happened. The father had a premeditated plan to save us from our sins. In in verse six, it says that at the right time, Christ died. Jesus coming to the earth to die was not some random event that happened. In Acts 2, Peter was preaching a sermon. He said that Jesus was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. So before God created the world, he had already set a plan in motion to save a people for himself, to save a possession for himself. 
This means that you are not a mistake, that you are not purposeless. You are not random. God has a plan in motion to save you before you were even born, before you took a breath, before you could think for yourself. God wanted to save you for himself to be his possession. The second thing that we see is that not only Jesus helped us when we could not help ourselves, but Jesus sacrificed for us when we were not good. In verses 7 and 8, it says, Rarely will someone die for a just person, although for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus gave us the greatest sacrifice when we were still tripping, right? We didn't have it all together. We hadn't cleaned ourselves up yet. We hadn't got right yet. In that state, Jesus came and not only loved us, he sacrificed himself for us. He took our place. And he, he didn't do it to get something from us. Because what did we have to offer? We were dead. We were enslaved. We were corrupted. We were in sin. What could we offer him? We didn't have anything to give him. And he did it because he loved us. He sacrificed himself for us. And so if you wonder to yourself, how does God feel about me? Does God like me? Does God love me? Jesus' death on the cross is an objective statement of God's love for you. It's an objective statement. Jesus can't undie on the cross. It was a past event that happened in history that you can look to and say, it has happened. Jesus has died. He can't take it back now. It's already done. It's like in a movie when someone insults someone, they'll say, they'll say to the other person, hey, take it back. And then typically if the person doesn't take it back, it'll turn into a fight or something. But this is not how Jesus is on the cross. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. This is an event that happened that can never be taken back. It's an objective reality. And it proves that God loves us. If, if God was willing to sacrifice himself in this way, when we were messed up, when we were doing our own thing, dead in our sin, that proves that he loves us. So we should stop looking to subjective things that change to know, to, to, to find out if God loves us or not. We should stop looking to ourselves. Sometimes we look at, did I have a good week? Did I have a bad week? Oh, if I had a bad week, God must not really like me this week because I've been doing all this. Or if I had a good week, we'll get puffed up and say, oh, God must really like me because I did all this. Another thing we do is we look to external things outside of us. If God is blessing you, you think to yourself, oh, God must be really proud of me right now. He must really like me. That's why he's blessing me. Or if, if suffering is happening to a person, you'll think to yourself, oh, man, I wonder what they did for God to punish them like that. We should stop looking to ourselves and stop looking to things outside of us to, to find out how God feels about us. Because we have an objective statement that happened in the past 
that Jesus died on the cross. He raised from the dead. This is how God feels about us. He was willing to sacrifice his own son for you. We have an objective statement. And God's, God's love is not simply words. It's not simply words. God loves us through actions. Sometimes if, if you're around an abusive person, they'll say, I love you. And they'll continue to cause harm to you even after they say, I love you. This is not the way that God loves us. God does not simply say words to us. He proves his love for us through action, through sacrifice. God's love for you brings about your greatest good. It does not bring with it harm. Think about it. When, when, when God said that he loved you, it brought with it your, your life when you were dead. It brought with it your freedom when you were enslaved. God's love brings about your ultimate good. It's not an abusive love that brings harm and that brings pain. And finally, if, if God has loved us if, if, in this way, if he had helped us when we were helpless, if we have a definitive statement of how God feels about us, if we put our trust in him, then we do not need to fear future wrath. If you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to fear wrath in the future. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? So there's, there's two things that we see in this. The first can be found in, in verse 9. It says, if you put your trust in Jesus, then you have been justified. We talked about this last week. Justified means that you are declared righteous. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you might have done today. It doesn't matter how good you've been, how evil you've been. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you have been declared righteous. It's final and complete. And therefore, you do not have to fear facing the wrath of God. I remember as a kid, um, my dad would work late and I'd be in bed most of the time when he got home when I was, when I was real little. Um, and if I was being real bad that, that day, my mom would say, you just wait for your dad to get home. And I, I already knew what was going to happen. So I'd, I'd get this feeling in my stomach of like, oh man, I done messed up. That was, that was not smart. And, and I'd have this dread of like, oh, don't come home. Don't come home, please. And, and, and so you have this feeling in your stomach of like, I don't, don't come home. I don't want my dad to come home. But when you've been justified, it turns that feeling into like your dad has been deployed overseas and your mom says, your dad is coming home finally. It turns that dread and that fear of punishment into an excitement to see your father. 
It's this joy of like, oh, I can't wait to see him. He's been gone so long. I can't wait to put my arms around him and finally be with my dad. This is what it means that we have been justified, that we don't have to fear wrath in the future because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus. The second thing that we see is that if we put our trust in Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. This is in verse 10. Jesus makes it possible for us to be restored. So justified, reconciled, these are weird words that we don't typically use. I'm going to break it down for you. Reconciled simply means having a relationship restored. So it's like, it's like this picture of, uh, of we have a broken relationship between God and, and people, right? Like I have a broken relationship with God. But Jesus dying on the cross makes it possible for that relationship to be restored. We don't have beef anymore. We're good. We have a good relationship. That's what it means to be reconciled, which gives us access to the Father. That once we were separated, we were on our own, we were isolated. But Jesus dying on the cross gives us the opportunity to be reconciled to God, to have access to the Father. And this is a joyful thing that we should lean into and we should celebrate. It should, it should cause us to be joyful and excited that we have access to God. We've been reconciled to him. We no longer have a wall of separation. We can be together. And, and if you look at this verse, it says we were reconciled. It's a past tense verb. It means that his, it has already been accomplished. If we put our trust in Jesus, we have been reconciled. It's done. We have access today. That we don't have to go to a pastor or, or a pope or someone like that to have access to the Father. We have direct access today. No matter what kind of sin you might have been doing yesterday or you might have done this morning, you have access to the Father so go and be with him. Your relationship with him can be restored. Because Jesus has done all of this, that he helped us when we were helpless, that he sacrificed for us when we were unlovable, because we don't have to fear future wrath, I promise you there is nothing better to save you than Jesus because Jesus chose to love us when we were sinners, when we were opposed to him. There is nothing better to save you. What are you putting your trust in this morning? Something that you put your trust in is what you go to when things get hard. What you put your trust in is something that when, when conflict arises, you keep running back to it. What is that thing that you're running back to? Is it money? Is it a job? Is it, are you putting your hope in this nation? Is it a substance? Maybe it's a relationship with that boy or that girl or that man or that woman. Maybe it's in having good, deep friendships. 
Is it entertainment? Whatever it is that you are putting your trust in, that you keep running back to when things get hard, I promise you, they cannot satisfy you like Jesus. They don't love you the way Jesus loves you. They were not there for you at your darkest moment, sacrificing themselves for you. Jesus has a love unlike anyone or anything Nothing can provide the love that Jesus has for you. Only Jesus can. So run to him. Put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Put your hope in him. Because he will satisfy you. So when we understand how much Jesus loves us, that should begin to to swell up in our hearts. And that swelling up in our hearts should overflow into evangelism. Verse 11. It says, not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Have you ever been around someone who is boasting all the time? That can get annoying. Is someone just constantly talking like, I can do this, I can do this, I, I have this, you don't have this. This is the word that is used here, that we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the kind of, of swelling up in our hearts that we can't help but talk about it. Have you ever heard someone who was boasting silently? It doesn't exist. People, people boast by telling people that they interact with about whatever it is they're excited about. This is how we should, this is how we should be filled with the love of Christ. We, we should understand how much he loves us, how much he has sacrificed for us, and it should pour out in, in boasting to the world that look at the way that my God loves me. He could love you the same way. We were designed to have community. When, when, when other people experience how beautiful something is, it makes it that much more beautiful to us as well. So let's, let's take a movie, for example. Let's say you watched a movie and it's the best movie you've ever seen. So you finish it. No one else in the world has ever watched it. Then you go to all of your friends and you start telling them, hey, you should watch this movie because it was the best movie I've ever seen. And you all watch it together and everyone gets excited about it. And when it's over, they're all like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. You are totally right. That fills your heart with joy, even more joy than you had just watching it by yourself. This is how it is with evangelism, that when we see the beauty of God, we have to tell people because it's overflowing out of us. And when we tell other people and they experience it and they say, wow, your God is so amazing. I want to know him in the same way. It will fill your heart with even more joy. That it's like a cycle of joy overflowing from the love of Jesus. And it's not legalistic to say that we should should share the gospel with people. It's not legalistic. Jesus said when when he was teaching that your mouth speaks from the overflow of your heart. 
The things that you talk about reveal the things that you care about. And if you understand the love of Jesus, if you understand the sacrifices he has made for you, then that would pour out of you naturally. It's a natural thing. It's not legalistic to say you should share the gospel with people. It should be a natural response to understanding the love of Jesus. So how do we obey this passage? Well, I've already been talking about about it a little bit. We try to make evangelism a lot of times more complex than it needs to be. Like when we think of evangelism, it's this kind of scary thing of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go preach on a, on a corner. I don't want to like go tell random people that I don't know. Well, it doesn't have to be like that. Who are the people that you interact with on a regular basis? Because it's actually easier to share the gospel and more effective if you actually have a relationship with a person before. So no matter where you find yourself, you interact with people. If you are a kid in school, then you interact with your classmates, you interact with your teacher, you interact with your sports team people that you're with. If you are a mom, you interact with your kids. If you are at work, you interact with your coworkers. If you're in a club, you interact with those people. Wherever you go, you interact with people. So who are the people who don't know about the love of Jesus? And that should flow naturally out of you in your conversation. Let me tell you what the Lord has been teaching me. Let me tell you about how I was encouraged this morning from reading the word. It should naturally flow from us. And if, and if it's not naturally flowing, then dig into the word. Dig into scripture. Feast on the love of Jesus. And then it will begin to flow out of you if your heart is full of the love of Jesus. It should not be a strange thing to share the greatest news that we've ever received. And if all of this is true that I've said this morning, that, that Christ helped us when we were helpless, that he sacrificed his own life to save us, and that because of that, we don't have to fear future condemnation and wrath. This is the greatest news we've ever received. We should tell people about this. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way that you have encouraged me this morning from your word. Thank you that, that you loved us when we were unlovable, when we had nothing to give back to you. You sacrificed yourself for us on the cross so that if we put our trust in you, we can be saved. Thank you that you satisfy more than anything else in the world. Thank you that you forgive us no matter what we have done. Would we continually keep running back to you, running back to you in repentance, running back to you for help,
running back to you for encouragement, for comfort? Would you be the one that we go to when life gets tough? And would you, would you help us to share this news with other people? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.